Hi everyone, this is your host, Julia Glotz. Welcome back to eFundamentals Digital Shelfcast, where we discuss how growth-driven CPGs can win in e-commerce at speed and scale. Every episode, I'm speaking with industry experts about the latest trends and challenges on the digital shelf and how you can accelerate your growth online. Make sure you subscribe today so you don't miss out on any of our inside-packed episodes. Thanks for spending time with me today. Let's jump straight in. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Digital Shelfcast. It's great to have you with us. Today's episode is all about shopper marketing, what it is, and more importantly, how it must evolve to succeed in a digital grocery shopping world. Now, if you look up the term shopper marketing, you will find lots of different definitions, but they all agree on one point. The purpose of shopper marketing is to influence shopper behavior, partly to increase consumption in the short term, but more importantly, to change and shape shopper habits in the long term. So far, so straightforward, but here's the challenge. How do you influence shopper behavior at a time when that behavior is so very much in flux, switching from brick and mortar to online marketplaces and back and forth? And how should CPG organizations respond to that? How does shopper marketing need to adapt? And what are the key skills that shopper marketers need to create and execute successful omni-channel strategies? To help us answer these questions, we have an amazing expert guest with us today. Julie Liu is a consumer goods professional with 10 years of global marketing experience across grocery and beauty. At present, she's National Manager for Commerce Media at Ghirardelli and previously worked as Shopper and E-Commerce Marketing Manager at Cliff Bar. Julie, hello. I'm so pleased you're able to join us. Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Now, I'm desperate to start talking to you about shopper marketing, but we always like to quiz our guests on their own online shopping habits before we dive into the discussion. So tell me, what was the last item you bought online and what was the experience like? So Julia, I am a very loyal Target e-com shopper. And my last purchase was pretty boring, just a, a refill of household cleaning essentials. But I am pretty much an exclusive e-com shopper at Target, and I, I mostly do ship to home, but sometimes I'll do drive up on the weekends. And I have two kids, so drive up has been life-changing. I can get in and out in just a few minutes. My kids don't even know that we were at Target. And my mail person actually commented recently that it seems like every day I have either a Target or Amazon package arriving to the house. <laughs> Fantastic. I love that. So very much about the convenience there. Yes. Um, now, I started the episode by saying there are lots of different definitions of shopper marketing out there. What is your own definition? How do you define the scope and function of shopper marketing? This is a, a really good question. I'd say generally, a shopper marketing is about using consumer insights to influence a shopper's purchase behavior. Now, that's a very broad definition, but it's a discipline that continues to grow in scope. So gone are the days when all shopper marketers did was consumer promotions and merchandising events. And it's now a function that is constantly evolving. And especially in today's digital world, it's a very strategic function that services both marketing and sales teams by solely focusing on the consumer. 
I really like what you were saying there about the changing scope and focus of shopper marketing. And of course, that scope and focus has been changing for some years. What specific changes have you seen more recently? And I suppose particularly as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, the focus of the function has definitely become more e-commerce and digital focused. And we were already moving towards omni-channel pre-COVID, but the pandemic really pushed shopper marketers into the limelight. Cleveland Research Company noted that COVID has accelerated the e-commerce adoption rate by at least four years. And at the height of the pandemic, budgets traditionally allocated to trade promotions, in-store demos, and experiential events were shifted over to shopper marketing. And we also saw brand awareness dollars shifting over to retail media as well. So very quickly, shopper marketers had to adapt and learn new skills. And the skill set for a shopper marketer today is very different than one pre-pandemic. So it goes to show that the most important skill sets here are soft skills. You know, we're, we're all learning the hard skills and things that we knew yesterday might not be applicable tomorrow. And the skills we need tomorrow might not exist today. So it's really important for anyone in shopper marketing to have an open mind and I'd say a, a passion to learn. Absolutely. And I think we'll get an opportunity actually to talk about some of the skills that shopper marketers need in this new climate uh, in a little bit more detail later on. Tell me a bit about how this shift has affected you personally. How did your own shopper marketing strategies change as a result of COVID? Yeah, so I'd say the key word here has been flexibility. Mm -hmm. we, We used to sign annual contracts with vendors that locked us in. But obviously, brands didn't know what was going to happen with the lockdown and stock up behavior. So generally, shopper marketers moved away from in-store tactics uh, to more omni and digital tactics that had quicker turnarounds. We also saw significant increases in things like paid search and reduced coupon spend. And the last bit I'll say here is that in, instead of doling out dollars to run small programs with every regional customer, Lots of shopper marketer dollars shifted over to national programs with third-party shopper platforms or delivery services like an Instacart or a Shipt. Mm. I think that's so interesting. And I'm definitely going to quiz you a little bit about some of those new platforms, including Instacart, a little later. But we're obviously nearly two years down the line now from those early days of COVID. If you had to describe the focus of your current strategy in three words... What would those be? So I've only been at Ghirardelli for about six months, and I'm in a new role that is part of an e-commerce center of excellence tasked with developing our retail media strategy here. So I'd actually give you four words to describe my current strategy, which would be ensuring excellence in fundamentals. And I say that because it's really easy to get caught up in the latest capability because retailers are pushing their media platforms, right? But before we even consider those options, from an e-commerce perspective, we need to make sure that the essentials are in place. Content, in-stock rates, optimized pack for selling online, ratings from reviews, and then search. So in in terms of my role specifically and and strategy, it's really right now about upskilling the teams in digital marketing, understanding what are the right KPIs to measure, how much to invest, and with which platform. 
Fantastic. Ensuring excellence in fundamentals. I like it. Now, I want to quiz you a little bit more on shopper behavior. When you're looking at shoppers today, what are some of the biggest behavioral changes that you have seen in the way people shop and discover products? Mm-hmm. Our friends have been pushing e-commerce leaders to rethink our vocabulary. It's not about in-store sales versus e-com sales, but rather it's about understanding how sales today are proportionately digitally influenced, meaning that there is always some form of digital engagement along the purchase journey. It could be a search or display advertising, content, reviews, social media. There are so many more touch points to reach consumers nowadays. And even, you know, think about the way you shop. I almost always read reviews before I buy something, and I discover a ton of brands through social media. McKinsey, they also recently released their 2021 holiday survey and found that social media influences 58% of survey respondents' buying decisions, specifically platforms like Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Retailers know this as well, and we're hearing more about social media being integrated into retail media offerings. So today, you can actually invest in platforms like Facebook and Pinterest with Kroger Precision Marketing and Roundel. And every week, we're hearing about new partnerships popping up. So for example, we heard a couple weeks ago that Albertsons is working with Pinterest on letting shoppers add ingredients for recipes they found on Pinterest directly to their shopping cart on the Grocers app. And Walmart and Facebook recently announced that they're testing an AR lens experience that lets consumers choose gifts based on their facial expressions. So brands need to get more creative about the ways they engage with consumers because consumers are expecting to have personalized digital experiences, especially when reaching Gen Z. I love those examples. And it really made me wonder actually about your experience in the beauty industry. I mentioned right at the start, you've worked in beauty as well as in in grocery. And of course, beauty purchases are very heavily influenced by social media as well. How has shopper behavior changed in beauty? And are there perhaps some creative lessons the grocery industry could learn from our colleagues in the beauty sector? Yeah, this is a this is a big question, Julie, and I think it's a really important one because so much has changed in beauty since I left the industry about five, six years ago. And at the time, I was working on uh, the Asia-Pacific markets, and I remember that we had just started to talk about e-commerce in the markets I was responsible for. And I specifically remember my buyers telling me how e-commerce is such a small part of the business and growth will be slow because uh, cities in Asia are so compact and stores are so close to each other. You know, if you go to Hong Kong or Singapore, I, I can't even tell you, for example, in Singapore, in the main shopping area, how many Sephora stores there are that are within, you know, five minute walking distance of each other. But now it's a completely different story. And I, that's what I love about the beauty industry. If you think what's happening now in grocery is fast paced, it's always just been so much more intense in the beauty world. And that was the biggest culture shock when I moved over from beauty to grocery. We used to launch products every month, whether it was region exclusives, channel exclusives, trend-based limited edition eyeshadow palettes. And I used to update my retailers shelving units every month to keep the assortment and visuals fresh. So when I came over to grocery, And I found that in traditional brick and mortar, there are just a handful of product launch windows tied to customer resets. 
I was shocked and it was definitely a transition for me personally, going from beauty to grocery. And I think what's exciting for me personally is that the pace I'm seeing in e-commerce with grocery today reminds me a lot of my beauty days. And that's Mm. why I have a lot of passion for this space. I think that's so interesting. I mean, what you were saying about the pace there, I can just imagine that it must have been quite, quite the culture shock. It's so interesting, though, because particularly in beauty, formats like live streaming have become much more prominent. And there are some CPG players and retailers that are starting to experiment with that as well. Based on what you've seen in beauty, could you imagine live streaming, social commerce, these sorts of things becoming more important in CPG as well? Yes, definitely. I mean, we saw it coming with China and how advanced they are with uh, e-commerce and digital marketing and and things like live streaming. But there are definitely a few lessons I think that grocery brands can learn from what beauty brands are doing. And the first is that the beauty industry is all about experiences and not just transactions. You know, the, the industry traditionally has been very aspirational Although over the past few years, it's shifted to helping consumers celebrate who they are rather than pushing them to think about what they should look like. And so we're moving away from unrealistic standards of perfection to having products act as an enhancement of who you are naturally and linking positive associations back with that particular brand. And I think grocery brands have an opportunity here to better differentiate themselves by focusing more on the experiences piece so that people remember your brand during decision-making moments. And it's not enough to have people just solely aware of your brand, but what are you doing to link together the association between your brand and shopper needs? And that's through positive experiences, which are always personalized and more than often digital. The second thing here is increased focus on transparency and how ingredients affect your skin. So in beauty, product education is key. They use a lot of touch points like influencers, ratings and reviews, tutorials, and consumer studies on their websites. And the challenge is that the definition of clean beauty is actually not regulated in the US. And I don't know if a lot of people know that. So it's up to the consumer to decide which product works for them. And I'd say the same goes for food. Consumers care about what they put in their bodies in the same way they care what they put on their skin. And Forbes also had a recent study that showed that 65% of consumers look for products that help them live a more sustainable and socially responsible life. So be transparent about what's in your product. And if you're not, I guarantee that you'll see it pop up negatively in your ratings and reviews on Amazon. If you have sustainability initiatives, use it in your online content. Consumers will take note of it as it's what they're looking from brands. And the last piece here, Julia, is about inclusivity, a more inclusive community. More beauty brands are launching shades and products made for all types of skin and different skin tones. You know, Unilever announced earlier this year that they're removing the word normal from packaging on over 200 Dove personal care products because a study found that the word normal makes people feel excluded. You know, what is normal skin supposed to be? So it's really about fundamentally rethinking the type of language and products brands have put out in the market for years. And the same for grocery. How can brands weave in DEI initiatives, not just in an internal HR strategy, but fundamentally prioritize it as a way of doing business that touches how we approach innovation, marketing, sales, and supply chain. 
I think that those are some fantastic insights. I'm so pleased I asked you about what lessons we could learn from, from the beauty industry, because I think, you know, as you say, expectations, consumer expectations are changing so quickly in a range of different sectors. And those expectations will quickly travel from one sector to another as well. So if mm-hmm. consumers are used to greater transparency on beauty products, they will come to expect that from food products as well. Yeah. Now, we've talked a lot about the pace with which shopper behaviour is changing. How do you personally stay on top of those changes? So let's start with metrics, for example. What are the metrics that you and your team would always want to keep on top of? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in, in terms of what interests me from a measurement perspective, I'm always looking for platforms that can provide data beyond performance level metrics. So with search, you know, we'll always get things like cost per click, ROAS, conversion um, impressions. And obviously ROAS is important, but we have to remember that it's purely a POS metric and it doesn't give you any indication of brand health, incrementality or profitability. So definitely looking beyond the day-to-day campaign metrics for uh, campaigns, but thinking about how these campaigns really move the needle in terms of higher level metrics and overall brand health, especially digitally. Hey, while we're taking a quick break, Chloe from eFundamentals has got something we wanted to tell you. Here's a question for you. Are you drowning in data about your e-commerce performance, but not sure what to do with it? Do you really know what's impacting your online sales growth across major retailers? If you've answered yes, you need to check out eFundamentals right now. They provide you with all the digital shelf analytics you need to achieve e-commerce success at speed and scale. eFundamentals takes everything that is fundamentally important to driving e-commerce performance and displays it in one easy-to-use platform that breaks down the key performance areas that help you and your team stay totally focused. Combined with industry-leading human insights from experienced CPGs, our customer success team get you up and running quickly with no setup costs and act as your partner to unlock repeatable growth year after year. Plus, it gives you a full category view so you can benchmark your category performance across retailers and see immediately when your competitors make a move, empowering your frontline teams to act with a level of category intelligence no other platform can offer. It's no surprise, clients see an average ROI of 12 times using their service. After all, eFundamentals was built by experienced CPGs who know exactly what's needed to drive performance today. Head to eFundamentals.com slash podcast today and see it in action for yourself. Trust me, you need eFundamentals. Are there any specific tools that you are using to stay ahead of trends or to monitor performance or competitor activity or potentially any new tools or metrics that you've recently started using? Yeah, not so much any new tools, I'd say. But one thing that has been really important to me is uh, I'm always setting aside time to learn. So whether that's hearing what my peers are doing about on LinkedIn, listening to podcasts like this, uh, webinars, or finding an area of e-commerce or digital that really interests me and ensuring that I devote time to growing myself. And this is something I didn't really do early on in my career, and it can be challenging to do that when you get caught up in your day-to-day, but it is really important. So, you know, some easy things to do would be setting aside the first 20 minutes of your day to catch up on industry news or discovering new tools uh, through vendors 
or maybe it's one day a week when you're turning into a webinar or podcast or taking a sales call. So it's just simple things like that that help me stay uh, on top of what's happening in the industry today. I think that's a fantastic point. And actually, it brings me on to a question about skills. And you mentioned skills and actually the importance of soft skills right at the start of our interview. But I'd love for you to just talk to, talk about this in a little bit more detail. Where do you see the biggest skills gaps within shopper marketing teams? And how mm-hmm. are you trying to plug those? Mm-hmm. The challenge and opportunity today for shopper marketers is to learn digital marketing. And I'd say that is the same for traditional salespeople. They've got to learn e-commerce and digital marketing. And on the other hand, e-commerce or pay-per-click specialists now have to learn how the traditional in-store environment works and how relationships with buyers work. And media agencies and digital marketers now need to know Omni Shopper and retail media. So everyone involved now needs to be trilingual. We're all learning this together. And no one is the expert in all three. So it's an exciting time to be in this industry. And I'll I'll tell you, Julia, I learn so much every day when I talk to vendors, uh, agency partners, and my retail media account reps. There's, There's just so much learning opportunity for all of us out there. Absolutely. On the soft skills side specifically, are there any skills gaps that you see particularly frequently within teams? Any soft skills that perhaps aren't as much on the radar as they should be. Yeah, nothing too much, I'd say, that that sticks out based in terms of, uh, you know, other areas of the business that we're focusing on. But definitely, I'd say the biggest soft skill is, you know, you need to have that passion. You need to have that drive to learn. I think about a year ago, like the the skills that I've developed since my time even coming onto Ghirardelli, it's been a vast change for me. And I see it in my colleagues, too, and the the team members that I work with. You know, we're all just really passionate about what we do, and we all just really want to learn. And we recognize that we're all in this together. Like I said, there's no expert in any area of the business right now because all of these things are new, especially when it comes to retail media. So it's just really about having an open mind and being willing to collaborate with people and partnering with each other. Absolutely. And I think, as you say, that ability to build partnerships and relationships with people internally and externally is so, so important at a time when we're all picking up new skills very quickly. I want to talk a little bit about a very interesting article that you wrote recently, and it's titled Shopper Marketing, an Evolving Function in the Digital World. And in the opening paragraphs, you describe how people often refer to shopper marketing as the coupon team, which made me laugh because I think it really puts the finger on a really important issue because that's quite a loaded description. Can you just quickly explain where that perception comes from and how it therefore affects how shopper marketing is seen and used within organizations? Mm-hmm. Yes, Julia, thank you for bringing that up. So, you know, shopper marketers can often, unfortunately, be seen as very tactical. There are obviously a ton of levers we can pull, but our minds often go straight to tactics. And many still see shopper marketing as a subset of trade promotions and as a discipline that can only execute short-term solutions. But our scope is so much larger than that. And how we can overcome any misconception is by building relationships across the org. 
You know, it could be um, a mini roadshow where you showcase some examples of how you can partner with specific teams and talk about digitally influenced sales and how today shopper marketers, in a sense, are influencers for consumer behavior. So yes, a coupon may be one of the tactics that we recommend based on a brand's objective, but it's really important to remember that a coupon is a tactic. A coupon is not a strategy. Absolutely. And I, I love that idea, actually, of the, the mini roadshow to really help people visualize and have some tangible examples for how shopper marketing makes a difference. I think that's a really great suggestion. There was another line in your article that really stood out to me, and I'm just going to read it for listeners. So you write, shopper marketing should be involved in buyer conversations and with consumer insights and key learnings, regardless of which department the function reports into. I'm really interested in the point you make about buyer conversations, because as part of your remit, you focus on driving engagement with your brand through e-retail media with established retailers like Target, but also those emerging platforms that we've touched on already, such as Instacart. Tell me a little bit about how working with retailers and those platforms has changed over the past 18 or so months. What's the focus for retailers right now and how are you using shopper marketing to support those retailers? Mm -hmm. There is so much focus now on retail media with our customers and every day I'm hearing about a new offering. Kroger recently announced Private Marketplace. Walmart is launching DSP. There's now new self-service capabilities with Instacart for display. So the opportunities, uh, they seem endless. And advertising is such a profit driver. When you're in the low margin business of grocery, things like advertising, membership programs, and data monetization are key examples of easy additional revenue streams for retailers. In terms of who's leading the way, Amazon is now the number three digital ad platform behind Google and Facebook. And they have about 77% share of total retail media uh, at market. And so other retailers uh, were quietly working on their offerings, but the pandemic really speeded things up significantly. And these investments with retail media can be tied to buyer financials. So it's becoming an even more important part of the holistic conversation of what's going on at that specific account for your brand. Retail media is also becoming an attractive channel for agencies and brand marketers due to the looming deprecation of third-party cookies. And actually this week, uh, Andrew Lipsman from eMarketer said that retail media is digital's third big wave. The first wave was search led by Google. Second wave was social media led by Facebook. And now this latest wave is the third wave of retail media really led by Amazon. I think that's fascinating. And even just listening to you, I wonder how you make sense of just the vast range of options that are now available. Because as you've explained, yeah. this is an area that people are rushing into. There are some great financial incentives for people to really focus on, on this as an area. As a brand, how do you decide what's a good fit for you and what to invest in and what's perhaps shiny and buzzy and noisy, but isn't going to deliver the results you're looking for. Yeah. So the thing to remember here is where is your consumer? 
You know, mm-hmm. that's the thing I mentioned about shopper marketing is that we should be consumer focused. That should be our priority and that should guide our strategies and our plans. Obviously, you'll hear a lot about test and learn in e-com and digital. And while yes, there always needs to be an element of test and learn in your plans. At some point, your whole strategy can't just be testing and learning, right? Yeah. But you need to harvest those learnings into an actual longer term strategy. So identify the hypothesis that you want to test. Understand how it can help you develop a perspective on a certain platform or tactic or channel and build your go for plan based on those results. And Julia, I'm getting this question all the time, but I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I need to provide my POV back to the org on how we can not do a ton of things, but how we can do a few things really, really well based mm-hmm. on results from our tests and prioritizing the shopper's needs. And if we just shift the focus slightly, but I think we're sort of staying within testing and learning and new exciting mm-hmm. formats that can be full of opportunity, but also full of distraction. I'd love to hear your take on direct-to-consumer selling because D2C helped many brands win new customers, yeah. very much a uh, an appreciated route to market at a time when other routes closed rather quickly at the beginning of lockdown. What are the implications for shopper marketing and what have you learned about your shoppers through direct-to-consumer? Mm-hmm. Digital marketing is a huge area of learning opportunity for shopper marketers. Digital marketing and shopper marketing, these teams have traditionally been siloed in organizations. But the pandemic has, has really shown us that there are huge opportunities to help the org become more consumer focused by bringing these te- two teams closer together. And what I mean by that is, you know, look at your holistic ratings and reviews strategy with your digital team. Uh, more often than not, there's definitely ways that you can integrate that into, you know, your online content with your retailers. And see if you can use any of your DDC first party audiences to target through Amazon advertising. So it's not a channel that should be in competition with Mm. traditional retail accounts, but it should be used as a value add to help better optimize your retail media strategies. What you're doing with Upper Funnel with your digital and brand marketers, there's so many learnings that you can apply to what's happening in the lower funnel. And when you step back and think about it from the consumer perspective, you know, they're not seeing it. Oh, this is coming. Uh, I'm not getting this message from a digital team versus a shopper team or a brand team. They don't know and they don't care, right? They just see one holistic message from the brand. So I think that's a mindset that we need to shift to. Uh, what is a holistic view of performance and engagement from a brand across teams? Absolutely. And how important, just staying with that whole D2C piece for a moment, there's a lot of talk at the moment of subscriptions and their role in CPG as well. What's Mm -hmm. your take on that? What potential do you see for subscriptions? Yeah, it definitely varies by the category. In a previous role and then also in beauty, uh, subscriptions and consumer loyalty were very, very, very important. Uh, Now that I've come over to the chocolate category, it's pretty much the opposite. Chocolate Mm. is a very impulsive category. Consumers are switching brands left and right. And the household penetration for chocolate is, you know, almost 100%. So anybody can be a chocolate buyer. So I'd say it definitely depends on your brand and the frequency and usage rates of your product. 
And so I'd say just, you know, take a look at it for your specific brand, how your shoppers are reacting um, and engaging with the category. And then, you know, you'll soon find out what the role subscriptions and loyalty is for your brand and product. Absolutely. No, no one size fits all there. You touched on something interesting there, though, as well, which is the uh, the challenges of impulse categories in an e-commerce environment. How are you approaching that and what approaches or models have you seen work? Yeah, so yeah, we really need to solve for impulse in the e-commerce shopping experience. Uh, obviously, the pandemic heavily impacted categories that rely on impulsive shopper behavior. And so I, I've started to see some retail media platforms try out some new solutions. But if your solutions provider out there listening and you've got an idea, I'd really love to hear it. I don't think you're alone. I think that's still it's one of those big, yeah. big uh, pieces of work that still needs to be resolved yet. But yeah, hopefully it feels like there's a lot of incentive to try and come up with new solutions to make those impulse categories, but just work a little bit harder within e-commerce. We are having this conversation just ahead of Black Friday and Thanksgiving and of course ahead of Christmas so I do want to ask you a bit about those big seasonal events how are you approaching them and how are you looking at their challenges and opportunities Mm -hmm. particularly Mm post-Covid this year we're all facing the same global challenge with supply chain so I am expecting higher CPCs uh, especially earlier in the season as advertisers push their products sooner to prevent consumers from being disappointed so close to the holidays. But from my personal perspective, I'm excited for this season after a year of being in the thick of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Most of us last year, we were celebrating with our immediate families. We were seeing our, our friends and our extended families via Zoom. We weren't really traveling. So I'm looking forward to spending time with people that I didn't get to see last year. And a premium chocolate definitely plays a role in those moments, especially as we resume our in-person Christmas get-togethers. So I've got to put a a plug in for Ghirardelli as it's so fitting for this topic, but we've launched our seasonal peppermint bark in stores and online. So uh, go out and get some Ghirardelli peppermint bark for your loved ones (laughs) when you're able to see them this year. My mouth is watering just thinking about it. Now we're nearly out of time, but before I let you go, I did just want you to talk a little bit about Hue, which is an amazing marketing networking organization that you are a member of. What is Hue and what's its mission? Thank you so much for letting me bring awareness to Hue. So Hue is a nonprofit social impact organization for marketing professionals of color. And Hue exists to amplify voices of people of color working in marketing to help increase our visibility by building connections and expanding networks. We are experts in what we do, but we don't always have access to uh, legacy decision makers or their networks. So uh, as a Hue member, we use Slack to share job openings, uh, congratulate each other on successes and promotions, share words of encouragement and advice, and just generally offer resources to members. And I'll tell you, Julia, it's so refreshing to be a part of this network and have a support system of people with shared experiences, both in life and in marketing. And an exciting update happened this week because Hugh actually announced a partnership with Walmart where the two are teaming up to create opportunities to elevate uh, BIPOC talent together. 
Fantastic. It sounds brilliant. If listeners want to find out a little bit more about Hugh, what's the best way to do that? Yes, definitely. So you can find Hugh on LinkedIn. It's uh, H-U-E. Or I believe the website is also uh, wearehugh.org. Fantastic. Now, we'd like to finish our episodes by asking our guests to give our listeners one essential piece of advice. And we call this your hashtag 20 second smarts. So, Judy, what is your one essential piece of advice for our listeners for how shopper marketers can succeed in the omni-channel? Push yourself to grow. This is a continuous journey of learning and teaching, learning and teaching. Us shopper marketers are in a unique position because our function is a hybrid of sales and marketing. So we have to be proficient in both areas. It's the most exciting time to be here because of the rapid change happening in our industry. So don't be afraid to lean on your vendors, your salespeople, your digital marketing peers, ask questions and make time for those vendor calls. They have so much knowledge to share. And even if it might not be the right fit for your business at the moment, those conversations and relationships will open up doors and are easily accessible learning opportunities for your career. Fantastic. Judy, I'm so pleased you were able to join us. Thank you for a great conversation. Thank you so much, Julia. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Digital Shelfcast from eFundamentals. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and got some useful tips for how to navigate your brand's success on the digital shelf. If you're facing a particular challenge online, or you want to learn more about how to leverage digital shelf analytics to drive e-commerce growth at speed and scale, then why not book a free consultation with the eFundamentals team? Simply visit www.efundamentals.com forward slash podcast and book your free consultation. You'll also find the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, we'd also appreciate it if you could give us a rating and leave a review. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.